0: This is the Guardian.
1: Hello, I'm Faker Others and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. The poster girl for the Women's World Cup is Crook. A calf injury keeps Sam Kerr out of Australia's opener, but they squeeze past debutants Republic of Ireland thanks to a Steph Catley penalty. Canada, meanwhile, are held by Nigeria, is Group B, the real group of death. We have our first shock of the tournament as well as co-host New Zealand outclass that frightening Norwegian front line and Norway bottling it yet again. We'll round up the other opening matches as one of the favourites Spain kick off their World Cup in style and good news England fans, Millie Bright is back. All that plus we'll take your questions and that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel, the only phone engineered by Google and proud partner of the England teams. Search Google Store to find out more. What a panel we have for us today. Uh, Moyo Abiona, lovely to see you. Always a pleasure
2: for me to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Sophie Downey, I've been just watching with joy. You travelling around Australia and New Zealand. How are you doing? Uh, I'm
0: great, thank you. Uh, I might never come home. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, right. Oh, no, that much. Wow. Oh, come on. You'll miss us too much, surely. Yeah, well... <laughs> Kieran Pender, a debutant on the pod and uh, flown in especially for us into Brisbane. How are you doing?
3: Glad to be on the pod
1: excellent stuff well listen while we do this first part you can wait for your bags you know unless you travel light which uh, i'm assuming as a as a journalist for the guardian during a world cup at home you are definitely doing because you'll be on a plane for for a lot of the next four weeks no doubt um how are you finding the tournament so far has, has world cup fever hit
3: uh, world cup fever has definitely hit uh, i think having the opening match for the matildas on Thursday night at a packed-out stadium in Australia, a record-breaking crowd, as someone who's covered women's football on and off for over a decade, even t- 10, 12 years ago, to have imagined we'd get 75,000 people um, filling out our, one of our largest stadiums in Australia. It's just an incredible moment for, for sport, for all sport in Australia. I must say, though, as someone who's covered a number of men's and women's World Cups, the Olympics, etc., doing it at home is really weird. Sort of, I guess, uh, you're used to the sort of the travel, the foreign element being part and parcel of a tournament. And so having it on home soil is, I'm still adjusting to that.
1: Yeah, do you know what? I've I've done two tournaments at home back to back now because I did the men's Euros in 2021 and the women's Euros in 2022, and I had exactly the same. Having been out in Russia, and you know, logistics are a big part of, of what you do. It's actually weird coming home because you, your friends and family treat you as if you're not working, and normally you're in your work bubble when you're away, and it's harder to be in your work bubble when you're at when you're at home. But actually, that's exactly where we're going to start. Is uh, is Group B and Australia 1, Ireland uh, nils. So Steph Catley's penalty, the difference between the two sides. Moyo, not necessarily their best performance, Australia, but they did get all three points in front of that record crowd that Kira mentioned. Sometimes in tournament football, it is just about getting the job done ultimately, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I I think it is. I think yesterday was about getting the job done and they did that. Um, We saw... That they weren't used to playing without Sam Kerr yesterday. I think it was an adjustment period. We'll take we'll take yesterday's game as an adjustment period. Um, some grace needs to be given because I feel like even in games that they could rest Sam Kerr, Sam Kerr pretty much just plays all the time. Their setup is used to Sam Kerr. Their wingers are used to Sam Kerr. Their midfielders are used to Sam Kerr. And it felt like Sam Kerr not being there actually moved about four people's positions as opposed to just going one in one out. It took a bit of adjustment, I think, for someone like Caitlin Ford, for example, who's been used to playing on the wing, to sort of be playing this upfront role. Um, and I feel like the same would probably be the case with Mary Fowler as well. And coming into the tournament, she didn't have as much time in terms of that like, game time to prepare. So it looked like everyone was just trying to iron up their own rustiness. So, yeah, yesterday's importance was winning the game and they did that. So no full complaints from me.
1: Yeah, it was the huge story, wasn't it, that, that broke just before the match. Uh, Australia's talismanic captain picking up a calf injury during training before that match against Ireland. And she's going to be out for at least two matches as well, Sophie. Uh, Navdeep has, has tweeted us to ask, did yesterday show that Australia are an ordinary team without Sam Kerr?
0: I think ordinary is quite harsh because of the level of talent that is in in the Australian side. You look at, you know, Caitlin is Steph Catley's, even the younger ones. I mean, I love Courtney Vine as well. Like, I think she's absolutely amazing. But, yeah, I, I think that's a, probably a bit harsh, but it's an adaptation, right? And I think when you build your game around a player so much, which they naturally do with a player as good as Sam Kerr is, um, it's going to be an adjustment when she's not there. And I, Tony Gustafson spoke afterwards about the sort of how pleased he was because they dealt with that curveball. They They kind of... Use their 23 player well. Yeah, Used all the subs, used their starting 11 to try and get over the line. And it was was always going to be tough. I think people did massively underestimate Ireland and what Ireland can do and bring to this tournament. Um, They are not to be, you know, slept on because they have a lot of fire, they have a lot of tenacity and they can also score goals and, you know, cause trouble. And I think we saw that yesterday for sure against Australia and I think Canada will be... Equally a surprise maybe, maybe by them, um, they're not going to go away any, any time soon. So it was sort of the opponent as well that disrupted the play. But yeah, as, as um, everyone has said as well, getting that three points is key. I spoke to Hailey Rasso afterwards, she said the same. She said it was about getting this, this game over and done with. Um, the nerves, the opening, the crowd, the family there, the anthems, getting that out of your system. And then you go on, you've got three points, you go build on to the, to the rest of the tournament. So, um, yeah, for, the, for them, I think we saw it the same with England last year, right, against Austria at Old Trafford. And they really, really struggled in that game. And I know speaking to the players afterwards, it was nerves. Um, and it was just about getting those three points. And it's exactly the same situation here.
1: Yeah, Kieran, Australia had actually lost their last three opening games at previous World Cups so actually on paper it's a, it's a really good start but after that performance where do you have them as, as favourites to, to win?
3: I think a lot depends on how long it takes Sam Kerr to come back as Sophie mentioned a real c- curveball. I tried to use curveball in my copy and the editor <laughs> <No>. removed it <laughs> which I was a bit disappointed with but um, it's all down to that, um, the team have been really tight-lipped. It honestly came as a huge shock when I saw the tweet about uh, an hour and 15 minutes out from the game. I initially thought it was a joke because um, uh, I saw it firstly from someone else, not the official account, and I just couldn't believe it. I was in total shock. Um, Tony Gustafsson and Sam Kerr had fronted the press conference uh, the evening before. No suggestion at all that either of them, from either of them, there was anything wrong. Uh, uh, Total poker faces from both. Uh, One of the Australian TV uh, hosts said to Tony G after the game that he wouldn't want to play poker against him because they'd been totally uh, tight-lipped about it. Um, uh, There's been some sort of controversy around that and some people have suggested that um, the team were a bit deceptive. Uh, I think the competitive advantage of keeping it tight-lipped sort of makes sense in such an important game. But I do think now the question is going to be, what's the recovery time frame? There's been some talk about... I'm seeing sort of sports scientists and doctors quoted. It's really Sam Kerr's calf watch. We need a live blog on Sam Kerr's calf recovery, I think, because if she's back for the Canada game and sort of comes straight back into things, then no worries. But if she's not back to full fitness... It's hard to see Australia winning in the World Cup.
1: I, I don't know what the press is like out there compared to over in England but you know this is something that England would have healing hands on papers and and various other um, <laughs> voodooy type things in order to, to channel that and listen I, I I've sat down with Serena Viegman and Gareth Southgate the t- the two England uh, managers on a Enough occasions to say to anybody saying they're being deceptive, why would you give your opposition an advantage by t- giving the team news and telling them <laughs> what to expect? That's mental. Let's focus on Ireland, shall we? That Australia penalty, Marissa Shiva, you know, no arguments really. Two hands on the back of Haley Rasso. She was absolutely devastated afterwards, wasn't she? Um, but it was the correct decision. But apart from that one, you know. Silly mistake. Ireland were really impressive, Moyo, and Katie McCabe in in, in particular. I mean, that battle with her and Hayley Rasso was was incredible. I I think they'll actually be quite disappointed because it feels as if they played well enough to earn a draw, but maybe that lack of quality in the final third is, is their problem going forward.
2: Yeah, I think Ireland acquitted themselves really well. Really, really well. I think if you'd have looked at the balance of play, a draw probably would have been fair. But yeah, I think the issue for them is the attacking play like they almost need Katie McCabe to do everything right now that's that's how it feels it feels like she's their best defender their best midfielder and probably their best forward. and there's only so many places you can be at once so um they need I think they need to find a way of incorporating the forward players a bit more it's not like the Australia team they've not got like stars up front but in terms of utilizing what you do have, I think they've got to find some like they've got to work on certain patterns of play to make sure that their forwards are getting enough chances. So even if they're only converting, I don't know, one in every four chance, they need to get the forwards that those four chances. Yeah, and oh, listen, Katie McCabe is probably <laughs> top two and not two most physical players that I've seen play, and that's what we expect from her. But coming into this game, one thing you would have been assured about was the fact that. Katie McCabe's tenacity was going to be on ten thousand, and it was like she didn't disappoint in that, in that area. But yeah, it's just about converting the defense into offense, and it's tough because they didn't actually bring that many attacking players. They really, they really um, overloaded on midfield and defenders. So I feel like in general they don't have that many options up front, but they're going to have to just find ways to score.
1: Yeah, it, it felt as if they were lacking just. Uh... A little
0: bit. Amber Barrett missing. Sophie felt a bit odd. So I think they changed their plans because at one point Amber Barrett sprinted from the, the where she was warming up um, to the bench, took her bib off and I I li- <laughs> tweeted, it's Amber Barrett time because she is the one player that will score you a goal. Um, and then she just didn't appear. And I think it was because Australia then put on Claire Polkinghorn to bank up, I think. And they decided against it to shift it around. They brought on Lucy Quinn, who added a bit more technicality in in kind of that midfield area. Um, And then they sent Big Lou Quinn up front as well. You know, it it was um, a roll of the dice from Vera. I think when I look at it now, the game plan actually worked perfectly. I know people wanted her to go earlier in terms of trying to push for an equaliser. But you've also got to understand that while they wanted to draw the game, they didn't want to lose it heavily. Because can you imagine, if you, if you then ship three goals in the last 10 minutes, what does that do for your confidence ahead of the Canada and Nigeria? So while they desperately wanted the point and they were disappointed at that, the fact that it was just a 1-0 loss was probably a real source of pride. And I know from, from living with an Irish, I think the whole occasion was a real source of pride for them. You know, the, the fans... In the right, the corner behind the goal, they were singing their hearts out. They travelled well. I think there were over four thousand fans, and you know, it's 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 a it was a real like special historic day for them. Yeah,
1: it 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 certainly was, and actually, it's a really open group now, isn't it? You know, we'll get to Nigeria, Canada in a second, and and see whether or not Republic of Ireland actually you know, keeping the goal difference down like that could work in their favour going forward. But uh, before we wrap this up, I think we really have to highlight the amazing photo that Girls on the Ball tweeted from this game, Sophie. For me, it just perfectly illustrated what was a physical, combative, messy game with snubbed handshakes Allah John Terry and Wayne Bridge and and, and drama aplenty.
0: Yeah, Rachel says that was basically what her head was like the whole game, (laughs) That, that picture. And she said when she took it, um, that you know, she knew it was the one that would would do well, do well across the social channels. But yeah, um, I think it kind of summed it all up, like just a pile of bodies.
1: <laughs> yeah, just a total, total train wreck. Uh, Nigeria nil, Canada nil. Um, how gutting for Christine Sinclair Moyo missing the penalty that would have given Canada all three points and should have become the first player to score at six World Cups as well.
2: Yeah, I'm really, really upset for her. To be honest, I think. I thought she would score. Um, it wasn't meant- Listen, I don't think penalties are meant to be this tournament so far. So um, <laughs> I'm not sure if the general consensus is that we'll miss half and score half, because that's what it seems like right now. But yeah, it was a shame that there was no Jessie Fleming. I think if Jessie Fleming was on the pitch, she probably would have taken a penalty and probably would have scored. But yeah, Christine Sinclair is still like, it doesn't dampen her legendary status. But yeah, it's a shame that she couldn't do that and put Canada one
1: up. Battling performance by Nigeria, though, and a really well-earned point, Sophie. It leaves Group B really open. Assuming you've got Australia to go through top, who is your pick to qualify behind them? Because, of course, they'll potentially be England's opponents in the last 16 if they end up topping Group D.
0: Yeah, I think, it's really, I think the only one who's not happy today is probably Canada, because um, I think a point for Nigeria is good for Nigeria, it's good for Ireland... And it's also good for Australia because Australia looks pretty set, don't they, to, to top that group. I can't call it. I do think that Ireland can cause both Canada and Nigeria problems. I can't see Australia now slipping up against Nigeria, but maybe Canada could cause them issues themselves. So, yeah, I think it's all to play for. I've always said it's the group of death, this group. I think it's, you know, the most c- contested one in terms of who who's going through, not just the, who goes through top two, but, like, in the, in the whole sort of order of things. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. And if Ireland do do it and they go through second, well, it's going to be a slight problem in my household. So, <laughs> cause they they are likely to face England, so, you know we'll see what happens <laughs> there's,
1: there's also going to be a lot of people very quickly rearranging flights I would think as, uh, as well Kieran a quick one before we let you go and uh, and collect your bags how do you see this group playing out as Sophie says it, it does seem to be the new group of death if you, if, if you like can Republic of Ireland get out of it from what you saw of them yesterday?
3: Ireland were really strong, um, very physical, very defensive, but still created opportunities, particularly late in the second half. I think they're definitely a possibility to go out. I'm half Irish, so I had mixed emotions on Thursday night. Be delighted if Ireland mad out of the group as well. I think Nigeria impressed uh, against Canada. Uh, that game, really significant result for Australia for two reasons. One, obviously, it gives them uh, an advantage in Group B but it's also good for Sam Kerr's calf because it means that if Australia beat uh, Nigeria in Brisbane on Thursday then um, they're all effectively probably they are then guaranteed they are guaranteed progression out of the group, which means that Kerr coming back for the Canada game becomes less significant, and there's then a significant gap between the Canada game and the Round of 16 game. So I think if Australia, for example, would lose Nigeria, and it's all or nothing and Kerr might sort of rush her return, otherwise it's it's probably good news. I'd say Australia are probably likely to top the group, and my money would still be on Canada. They still have the class and depth to come back, but Uh, Come on Ireland.
1: (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, that'd be dreamy for you, wouldn't it? Australia, uh, Republic of Ireland, 1-2. Those next games in Group B, by the way, Canada versus Ireland is on Wednesday at 11am, Australia, Nigeria on Thursday at 11am. Kieran, it's been a delight to talk to you. What's your next port of call at the tournament?
3: Uh, In Brisbane for the next week, leading up to that uh, next Matildas game, but I'm going along to England, Haiti, this weekend, just as a punter, my first game as a fan of this tournament, not working, really excited for it.
1: Love that. Well, hopefully we'll catch up with you very soon. No doubt. See you later.
3: Thanks for having me on.
1: That's it for part one. In part two, we'll take a look at Group A and analyse Spain's opening match. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Right, let's take a look at Group A. New Zealand 1, Norway nil. Um, massive result for New Zealand. A big shock of the tournament so far. Before we get to the panel, let's hear from Barry Guy, who's a journalist for New Zealand's RNZ Sport.
4: Of course, the day hadn't started very well uh, in New Zealand. The shooting in Auckland, three people were killed and it sort of put a bit of dampener on the start of the World Cup for uh, uh, New Zealand and for the football ferns. There was a lot of anticipation for the game at Eden Park, perhaps not a lot of expectation of success. 42, more than 42,000 people at Eden Park, which of course is the main stadium for rugby. uh, That's a record for a football game in New Zealand, male or female. But as I say, the expectation wasn't great. The football firms haven't competed particularly well in recent years. Uh, They've struggled to get their top players together for the international windows and various tournaments. Uh, They were on a 10-game winless streak uh, going into this tournament. That was only broken uh, in a warm-up game last week. And they'd also struggled to score goals. And Jitka Klimkova, the uh, coach, had been often uh, criticised about how this team would come together for the uh, World Cup, but she always said they were were working to come together as a squad and to perform to the best of their abilities, and she always said that they would make New Zealand proud. I suppose as far as the 42,000 people at Eden Park was concerned, making New Zealand proud would probably uh, have been a draw. But the way the game started you would have thought that the world rankings had been swapped. New Zealand's currently 26, Norway 12, Norway former uh, world champions. But it seemed to be the other way around. The New Zealanders were playing a game that many of us uh, had never seen before. However, um, because of the situation that New Zealand is in and having never won a game at a World Cup finals before, when New Zealand missed the penalty... Um, everyone was wondering, goodness, <laughs> is this the beginning of the end? Uh, and of course, Norway then started to press forward and ha- were having opportunities. There was nine minutes of time to be added on and I just felt, goodness, I can just see, you know, I'm probably being a pessimist here, I could just see that Norway were going to score and it would end up in a draw again and that elusive victory at a World Cup Finals Uh, wasn't going to happen. But it did. The crowd erupted. The players were excited. Uh, It was, uh, as I say, a great finish uh, to what had been a mixed day for New Zealand after the shooting earlier in the day. And what a wonderful way to start a tournament when you have the hosts upsetting one of the top teams. So good for the tournament. A good boost uh, for New Zealand for the football ferns who could now... Aim to perhaps make the last 16 or perhaps even go a little bit further and New Zealand which has struggled to sell um, some tickets to some of the so-called lesser games around the country I'm sure the boost uh, in interest there and more tickets are going to be sold so as I say a perfect way to start the tournament for the tournament's sake and also for New Zealand's sake.
1: As Barry said, their first ever win at the Women's World Cup and a perfect way to start the tournament as well. They hadn't won in any of their previous 15 World Cup games, which is quite some
2: feat. Moyo, did you see this one coming? I, something, to, listen, I know it's easy to say in hindsight that, like, I saw it coming, but this one I actually did. Um, I think, <laughs> I think with New Zealand, especially because they had the home crowd, there wasn't like, I don't think people understand how much it means to have like a home advantage, and I feel like that's what we saw in play uh, yesterday. I think they felt as though they were being backed by the crowd, and with that, it meant that like every tackle they were going into, every time they went over and they were trying to go up and attack, it meant they were doing it with the backing of like all the fans as well. So I did see it coming, although I didn't think Norway would actually let it happen, and that's what I was shocked about. I knew New Zealand would bring it, um, but I was shocked that I have no way to but so I think I think New Zealand did really well. We were really cohesive as a unit. So yeah, I was happy and I did see it coming I think.
1: Yeah, the atmosphere was was amazing, wasn't it? Forty two thousand one hundred and thirty seven at Eden Park, which obviously is a is a record for a football match in New Zealand. That stadium is used to used to watching rugby union and, and cricket, isn't it? So pretty incredible. And and as you say, that goal from Hannah Wilkinson was an absolute delight, a real team goal as well. Came from the goal kick. Brilliant move down the right hand side, really quick transitions and then a lovely Uh, one-touch finish as well from close range, Sophie. It was an absolute beaut. And it's a fantastic opportunity now for New Zealand to actually make the knockout stages, which we didn't think would be the case. They play Philippines next, which you'd have them as favourites for potentially. And we always want to see a host nation do well, don't we?
0: You do, because that just builds the anticipation and excitement for the rest of the tournament. And as you mentioned there, the, the sellout crowd, that was a record for any football game in New Zealand. So... You know, it just builds that anticipation and momentum for the tournament. So if they can get out of that group, then you can only imagine what, you know, that excitement could be like come the knockout stages. Um, I was surprised as well, to be honest. Um, New Zealand have been in absolute dire form recently. Um, there's not been much to sing about from them. But Norway, I don't know what happens to them in tournament football. You know, you look at that attack and go, what are you doing, um, to be honest uh yeah I just can't really put my finger on it. I know their defense is shaky, but yeah the that attack should be it's one of the best attacks in the world in world football really. It
1: almost feels as if they play like individuals sometimes i feel there's there's no cohesiveness between them in in the slightest and the kind of balls that we see guru Wrighton and play for Chelsea just aren't reaching the the right people. It's it's really odd, Moyo, isn't it? And Frieda Marnum in particular, you know, she missed a huge chance not long after Hannah Wilkinson's goal. She'd missed another as well. You know, I, I just just wasn't impressed by them at all. And Ada Hegeberg didn't add a lot either.
2: Yeah, I... I- one thing with um, Freedom Man, I thought, is that it shows how sometimes muscle memory at club level really does help. And confidence building with like playing with certain players all the time in one position really does help. Because it felt as though she wasn't used to what the role she was playing yesterday. And I think it doesn't help that they all play all over the place, it feels like. It feels like sometimes one person's playing as an A. Like If you look at Goura Wright in yesterday, she was basically playing in midfield. And we know that for club, for the past, I don't know, 18 months, she's been playing as a winger. I do think that there is a bit of a problem as well with the balance in the team. And I feel like the coach at point, Edgar is almost trying to shoehorn the players in at once, as opposed to thinking, okay, this person's best for this role. Guru Wright is fantastic on the wing. Yes, I've got other wingers, but I know she can deliver a ball. She's used to having a target person in the middle. So that could work with someone like Ada Hegerberg, but she hasn't made that decision. And with Ada, I don't know, like, this isn't the first tournament either. I think we saw similar in the Euros where I feel as though there's a disconnect between what she thinks her role should be and what it actually is. We know she's a physical, a physical, physical forward, but it felt at times that like the game was happening too quickly for her. She was trying to slow the game down at points and the wingers were trying to go full throttle. There was a complete lack of cohesion, as you were saying, between the forwards and midfield. And it meant that I think they. I think 60th minute they still hadn't had a shot on target. And when you look at their attack, that is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it really is. And and actually, New Zealand could and probably should have had a second goal and made it a much more comfortable nine minutes of added time that they ended up uh, playing because Rhea Percival. Um, stepped up to take a penalty Hannah Wilkinson had literally just got off and and you could tell that that the Tottenham player was nervous you know she's been out for the last year hasn't she Rhea Percival we didn't even expect her to to make this tournament or her consultant certainly didn't after that horrible ACL injury that that she had and you know she she stepped up and, and ultimately hit the crossbar but From a Norway point of view, so I feel confident for New Zealand. I think that's given them like a massive boost of of confidence. But for Norway, how big is that game against Switzerland on Tuesday? What do they need to change, Sophie?
0: I mean, it's huge because they need to get something out of it to have a real chance. I mean, they will have looked at that group and gone, we need to top that group, really. I I mean, yes, going through in in second place is fine, but you, you, you would have looked at that going... That would have been your aim going into the competition. I think it's really interesting with Norway because I think there is a, perhaps a tendency maybe to blame the coach in terms of Hegerica. But actually, when you think back a year ago, it was the same thing. They crashed out of the Euros. It was a massive disappointment. Yes, they beat Northern Ireland, but there is something clearly wrong within the, the spine of that squad and that, that team at the moment and that, that nation That goes beyond, I think, the management. And yes, we have questions over Reese's management styles at times. I know she had that unsuccessful time at Team GB. But actually, I think it probably runs a bit deeper than that. And I don't know how you overcome that in a tournament. You would have hoped you'd already overcome it at this point and that yesterday would have ended up in a win. So that's a big worry for them, I think. Yeah,
1: concerning. Um, if you're a, a Norway fan, that's for sure. Um, this this game was overshadowed at the beginning and the opening ceremony as well. There was a, a minute silence uh, before the match for the victims of a deadly shooting that happened in Auckland earlier on Thursday. Not that far actually from the Norway team hotel and and a fan park as well. Our thoughts, of course, of the family and friends of those who lost their lives. Elsewhere in this group, Philippines nil, Switzerland two. Pretty straightforward in the end, Moyo, for Switzerland. Uh, they deserved it, didn't they? Philippines started well, but ultimately comfortable for the Swiss.
2: Yeah, I, I did think the Philippines started well, to be honest. I think there were a couple of times that Switzerland's defence looked shaky, um, but the Philippines just couldn't cap- capitalise on that. And then after that, it did feel like a routine win. I feel like when you look at some of the players that Switzerland have, if they're able to get into the game, you give Switzerland a great chance. We look at someone like Leo Valti, for example, and we know that she's a fantastic anchor and she's played as that anchor for Switzerland and for Arsenal. So with her, this sort of big experience, you expect her to just take to it naturally, which she did. And then you look at someone like Ramona Backman, for example, who is very, very now experienced at the top level. She's played on multiple different teams in different systems as well. And I feel like with her, you know what you're going to get, especially for Switzerland, where they see her as one of the most important players. She knows when she's going to get the ball. She knows when she can be the one to bring the ball up as well. Um, I feel like the balance works great because they've got someone that's really experienced at top level in each position. We look at the striker they've got that plays for Barcelona. That's another good... Like They've got enough players that have played at the top level, top experiences, to be able to see them through games like this. So even when in the first half, I felt that um, the Philippines started well. They could sort of ride the wave in terms of they knew that once they'd settled, that they'll be fine. Um, but yeah, it ended up being a routine win, 2-0. Yeah,
1: I mean, Backman did take that penalty well. Was it was it the right call in the first place? I mean, obviously VAR uh, checked it, Sophie.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I think so. I think it's a problem with, with VAR, right? It's 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 takes that sort of questionability out of it. Um, and you kind of have to go with the, the decision.
1: I'm loving the announcements. I'm thinking that that makes a, a a huge difference. Like it's difficult enough knowing what's going on when you're watching on the television, but at least you've got a commentator trying to explain it to you, and you know some graphics and some replays, etc. But if you're in Stadia, it's really hard. So I'm really glad that they've uh, they've decided to do this, and it's a bit of a trial, isn't it? It might potentially, you know, be be brought in over here at some point.
0: It was great yesterday in Stadium Australia because you knew exactly what was going on even the yellow cards. And I've only ever had that in America where they announce the yellow cards. And I've always thought it's a bit funny because you're sort of announcing it to to such glee in a in sort of way, <laughs> this sort of punishment for a player and everyone sort of cheers or whatever, but, um, or boos, depending on what side you're on. Um, but it adds a bit of theatre to it as well. So yeah, I quite enjoyed it yesterday.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, all, all the decisions were were right. Uh, the Philippines actually had a goal disallowed after 15 minutes. It wasn't very clear from the coverage what for. That was a slight problem, but I assume it was it was offside. It was a real shame as well, because uh, it was an incredible moment and it would have been a great finish as well, Moyo. Yeah, it,
2: it was a shame because I almost, there's no game I want it to be like, I don't want it to be a sweep in any game, really. Like, even if it's going to be, I want the other team to score one goal um and I felt like if if the Philippines would have gotten that goal it could have changed I wanted to see how Switzerland would have reacted basically had the Philippines goal been allowed and it would have been nice for them as well like you want the fans to be able to say okay yeah we lost but we scored this great goal like you want them to have talking points but at the same time I do think that the Philippines acquitted themselves well in that game so even though they lost and they didn't score I feel like the fans can take something from it and say, you know what, we gave it a good try. Mm.
1: Next games up in Group A are all quite key. New Zealand against the Philippines. That's on Tuesday at 6.30 in the morning. Switzerland against Norway uh, is at 9am. Right, so a match that's just finished as we're recording. We've had it on in the background. That's how professional we are. Multitaskers here on the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. It's finished spain three Costa Rica nil and actually the Spanish were three nil up inside 27 minutes in the first half through Del Campo's unfortunate own goal and Matti was on the score sheet Gonzalez as well they also had a penalty saved uh, Costa Rica goalkeeper Solera uh, saved from Jenny Hermoso who very much <laughs> targeted um, and flagged very obviously where her weak penalty was going it was it was unfortunate really uh, but listen to this for some stats Spain with 81% possession, 45 shots, 12 of them on target. I mean, Bonmati's was a brilliant finish, Moyo, but you know, they probably should have had more goals, really.
2: It almost felt as though at times they were trying to walk the ball into the net. When they realised, OK, we're doing too much, they then just started getting into the box and just shooting. Like No matter if there was a defender in front of them, they were just shooting, shooting on sight. Spain have done some really nice moves today. I feel like in the first half, especially um, Bomati, I think she was, I think she's a different level player, to be honest. And I feel like like any team will struggle against her. But especially how Costa Rica was set up, Bomati was just everywhere. And because of the style that Spain played, it meant that she was everywhere in terms of midfield, but she was also popping up on the wing, she was in the box. And I just feel like she's really difficult to mark because even if you know what she's going to do, you can't stop her because her feet are so quick. Yeah, they they were using it as shooting practice, it felt like, but um, it's good that they may have gotten this out of their system now because they can't be this... They have to be more clinical, basically, in the future because all their goals came in six a six-minute span and outside of that, they didn't score, so... Yeah, stuff to work on, for sure.
1: Yeah, and good news that Alexia Putea has got some minutes. She came on as a second-half substitute. Sophie, which for Spain going forward is uh, potentially great news. Not for for others, though. Uh,
0: No, she's been training away from the team for much of last week, I think, because she had picked up a knock or it was part of the recovery from the ACL. She played a lot of minutes, I think, for Spain. So she was really well managed for Barcelona. But I think when she came to the Spain squad, she played quite a lot of minutes. So it's probably something to do with that but yeah good for spain to have her her back on the pitch i guess um i do think uh, as uh, moya said you know i would worry for them a, maybe a bit against zambia if they can't shoot, sort out their their shooting percentages because zambia will hit them on the on the counter attack and they have a much more potent uh, counter attack than um costa rica did and costa rica in that first half had maybe two or three chances where they broke through Um, And if they'd had a better striker at the end of it, they would have probably got a goal back. So, yeah, things to work on.
1: By the way, penalty in every game so far, not all converted. (laughs) That's crazy. I I love it. (laughs) Madness. Madness. Absolutely madness. I would love to point you in the direction of Susie's interview with England goalkeeper Mary Earps. I was absolutely astounded when Susie first told me about this actually a couple of days ago. She told me the the interview that she'd done and it was it was going to be coming out and you know for anybody who hasn't read it yet there's a the, there's a link in the show notes for you to have a read of the article but basically she's talking about her anger and and disgust that England fans can't buy the goalkeeper shirt you know, all the other shirts are accessible. She only found out about this, I think it was back in in April. You couldn't buy the goalkeeper shirt at the Euros. It was flagged. And then in April, she found out when the team went to do their photo shoot for for the new kit for the World Cup, that the goalkeepers weren't included in it. It's absolutely crazy especially because like her kit is awesome why would you not want to be selling that to fans I want that listen yeah. I'm obviously as a, as a Luton Town fan it's a little <laughs> bit orange so you know I'm all for that that's the kind of you know coral kit I've got the the Lionesses away kit from from the Euros it's got my name written right on it except it hasn't
0: because I can't buy it anywhere it, it's, it's quite disgusting really Sophie it is and I mean, not the same variation of this, this argument. This is an ex- extra ad- added to it, but ev- it seems that every single major tournament that we have, there is a problem with the supply of, of kits around the women's team. Um, and it gets more and more infuriating every time because when you think about a team like the Lionesses and what they did last summer, and there, is, there still seems to be this opinion amongst the manufacturers or the brands that no one wants to buy it, so last summer there was that huge problem around men being unable to buy the women's shirt because they didn't think that men wanted to buy the lioness's shirt i mean it's totally how do you market a team to a wider audience if you're not prepared to to provide the the products to that 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 audience and I, it's the same the same thing, but even more so with this Marriotts thing because you know it's not just. Um, say say men it's, it's young girls who want to look up to their, their idol and wear her shirt and they can't buy it and I, I think she said in the interview what does that say to, to young girl keepers coming through
1: Yeah it's crazy Moyo and and actually on the sizes by the way as a woman who has a larger chest I need to have a larger shirt I don't want a blooming skin tight ridiculous football shirt so I have to get a large as it is I'd much prefer a man's shirt they fit me better uh, you know, they need to kind of think about these things. I'm not I'm not a huge person, but there are people of all kinds of of body types out there that,
2: that need to be catered for, Moya. Yeah, I, th- I completely agree. I think it almost feels as though manufacturers are trying to put football fans in a box and specifically women's football fans into a box of what they think. It's almost like they've decided what the demographic is that watches women's football and they've said, well, these are the shirts for them. But with no actual knowledge of who is watching women's football, and who wants to get shirts like they definitely need to cater to everyone. And what was annoying as well was the fact that she said in the interview um, that she was like, my goalkeeping shirt was the third highest sold at Manchester United last season. That, so there is a demand for goalkeeper shirts. And we know that last season after the Euros, I feel like is probably one of the most talked about names as well. So when you look at her demand as a personal brand, it's as high as it's ever been. If we actually look at what she's done in terms of like, her trajectory, her dem- the demand for her shirt will probably be the highest that it's been. And the fact that she was saying that like the impact not only on like, young kids and people that want to buy like budding goalkeepers, young kids, but also just her family. Because you want to be able to share this with... like It takes away a moment that she's supposed to ha- be able to have with her family in the way that other players are able to enjoy it. So not only are they separating in terms of fans, but they're separating what the like the personal thing she's allowed to get as compared to her teammates which also is bad.
1: Yeah, that 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 was the bit that got me actually that her family can't wear the shirts out there, you know. But actually it's pushed her in a in a new direction in terms of a side career because she's opened her own clothing brand as as, as a result yes. of this because she was so frustrated. So, I mean, I, I listen I'm hoping that Nike will listen because this this interview is everywhere. It's not great PR for them. So hopefully this is going to actually affect change. Do better, please. Right, elsewhere in much better England news, Millie Bright is fit to play tomorrow, which is absolutely incredible. She did her Matchday Minus One uh, interview alongside Serena Wiegmann. Obviously, she's captain for this tournament as well, and she will be one of the centre-back players which is just wonderful news Sophie has a huge smile on her face
0: (laughs) I mean why as an England fan why wouldn't you it's the best piece of news that you could probably get in the build-up to to this World Cup you know after all of the injury problems that England have had over the last what 10 months or so and she was the big worry because if you look back to last summer her partnership with with Leah Williamson was absolutely key to them winning the Euros so to have at least one of them back and fit and raring to go. And I mean, you know, Millie Bright and what kind of energy she brings and leadership she brings to a team and the kind of qualities that she she can um, add like in terms of her... Po- it's not just her defensive abilities. She doesn't shy away from a challenge, but it's her passing abilities. It's that sort of progressive play, play forward um, that adds so much to what England can do and how they play. So yeah, massive, massive relief.
1: So quick one, Moyo. Now we know that Millie Bright will be in the centre of defence.
2: Who partners her? I think it has to be Alex Greenwood. For me, personally, I think if we think about the qualities we're missing with Leah not being there, I feel like the closest in terms of being able to match the characteristics that Millie Bright has, I think Alex Greenwood is perfect uh, in terms of being a foil for those characteristics. She is very different in terms of being a defender than Bright. But I feel like the, the partnership would work well with sort of some give and some gal. Some, um <laughs> I think that she will not be doing the slide tackling. And I think she'll leave that to Millie Bright. But she is a really intelligent player. And I think she'll work well with the tenacity of Bright. I think Greenwood will, will do well. I think the problem then becomes who plays at left back. I think that that then starts another issue, who's starting at left-back, especially if we don't know where Rachel Daly... Well, we seem to know where Rachel Daly's going to play, so it sounds like left-back is now the next issue.
0: (laughs) I'm actually of the other opinion, but just because I remember last year in the build-up to the World World Cup, to the Euros, and after they played the Netherlands, Alex Greenwood never played at centre-back or started at centre-back again. And uh, I think there was an issue in the way that she defended there and not to say that she hasn't progressed over the last year but I do think there's something maybe in Serena's mind about she might be better utilised at that left back role but I've literally been I've been talking to Susie today Suzanne Rack um, and we've been changing our mind about whether it's going to be Jess Carter or Alex Greenwood left back or centre back and we can't decide so
1: there we go I feel a little bit sorry for Alex Greenwood because it feels as if her position changes depending on whoever is first choice in her position Um, which which is which is a real shame because she's such an incredible player but it does point to her versatility uh, doesn't it anyway we'll find out the answer to this because we will be back tomorrow as the Lionesses get their campaign underway against Haiti and we'll, we'll analyse whether or not whatever decision Serena Vigman makes was the right one or not Moyo lovely to see you uh, I'll see you again soon no doubt
0: over yes. the next few weeks of course thanks for having me Sophie enjoy the game in brisbane um, yes no i will do yeah for sure um yeah i forgot i was doing that i'm literally i'm one day into the world cup and i literally, i don't know where i am or what i'm doing or
1: <laughs> delirious <laughs> How am I delirious it? <laughs> already well listen i've been following your exploits on social it's been a delight watching watching all the beautiful places that you've been to i'm very very envious as i sit in my sauna like box in my kitchen Remember, you can keep in touch throughout the tournament by emailing Women's Football Weekly at The Women's Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Music composition was by Laura Iredale. And our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. Don't forget, we are back tomorrow. Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel. With its incredible camera and AI-powered technology, Google Pixel is bringing fans closer to the game this summer. Search Google Store to find out more.
0: This is The Guardian.